Good afternoon, Hope Covenant Church. Quotes from Quarantine, episode three. We back. And uh, I would just say that this has been really enjoyable. And I hope that it's enjoyable for those that are on the receiving end of this pod, if uh, as my millennial Gen Z friends like to say. Short for podcast. That is true. So uh, we are joined today, as always, uh, Rachel Lassen, Director of Worship and Youth here at Hope Covenant. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Covenant. But we have a special guest this afternoon, a very, very special guest. And sitting to my right is my wonderful, uh, better half, super spouse, Maria Zahasky. Hey, Hope Cove family. Good to be here today. Love it. Well, um, I don't know, Maria, if your husband has told you that I am in charge of the fun here in these here parts. Um, Have you had that conversation? No, I think he left that part out. Right. I mean, I can be fun, but I I fully recognize that the fun is more accomplished (laughs) over here on the other side. Well, we left you out of it, but you get to be part of it today. Are you you excited? I'm okay. jumping up and down. So I don't know. Have either of you seen one of my, actually, my favorite shows called Shark Tank? I have, in fact, seen Shark Tank. It's been it, a very long time. It but has, but it was one of our favorite shows we used to watch for a long way time. Way back in the day. Yeah, I used to watch it with my parents, too. So basically, the premise is... Whoa, whoa, Ray, whoa, 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 whoa. That so was... What are I you mean, insinuating like, when you say that? Right. Like, 10 years ago. I would say it was like before we had kids, so that was about 10 years ago. Oh, Perfect. Okay. I guess All time right. has, has, has <laughs> flown by. It has flown by. But yeah, it's still on, I believe. It is, I think. Okay, sweet. So basically, the concept of it is there's some sharks, um, which are some people that have money to invest in things, right? And there's different people that come into the tank, which is the room, and they present inventions that they have, asking for the people to invest in their invention in order that they can all make money. Um, Maria, you are a shark today. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. Ooh. I was like, make a shark noise, but I don't think they make noise. I, I don't Just either. Just dun dun. Dun dun. Mama shark. Do, yes. do, do, do. No, maybe they don't sing that. I'm sorry if we triggered all your kids in that <laughs> moment, if they're listening. Okay. Um, but basically what Brian and I have done is come up with a list of some inventions that we think we should have. Um, and, and we're going to pitch them to you. Yes. And hope that you're going to invest in them. So how many do I pick? Just one? We're just going to go back and forth. So I'm going to pitch one, and Brian, you can react to mine as well. Okay. I'm going to pitch one. You guys react. Um, point out the flaws. There aren't any in mine, personally. There might be some in Brian's. Okay. So. And I feel I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because some of these, I think, that my wife would say I would need to do rather than come up with an invention. So I'm a little feel, I feel like this has been sure. a, a little swayed in your favor, but we'll see how this all plays out. I've been thinking about these ideas for years. Okay. I've been <laughs> thinking about these for about 12 hours. So. All right. All right. So let me just say, I haven't like actually researched any of these, so they might already exist. I was worried about that too with mine. Right. So if they, if they do, send us a link. That'd be sweet. Okay. So Maria, should I go first? Yes, you should go okay. first. <clears throat> I'm going to pick my best one. Okay. This one I have presented to people in the past, um, but I stick with it. This is called... A dishwasher or a sink dishwasher lid. Okay, so hear me out. 
you don't have to take your dirty dishes and move them into the dishwasher. You just take out this giant lid and you place it over the sink and you press a button and it just like blasts out water in the sink. And so it's one less step. And then once it's done washing all the dishes that are already in the sink, you just take it off and then you put the dishes away. So the sink becomes the dishwasher. The sink is the dishwasher. So right. you're trying to eliminate the step of taking the dishes yes. that are in the sink and moving them the, what, foot and a half into... Is that. Okay. Did you realize that dishwashers are actually meant to work better if you don't rinse your dishes? Like, if you just, like, put them in? Perfect. That changes... That doesn't change my invention at all. All right. So Does I'm it? I'm going to match... I'm going to keep it kind of in the same genre. Uh, I My first invention that I would like to make is literally an automatic close folder so sure like literally like put it into a hamper and there's these hands that work inside the hamper to actually fold the clothes in the way they're supposed to be removing any sense of work on my part i actually think there is a machine that does that right well i think that's a like but i'm literally talking about like you just throw it into a box okay and they actually just fold it for you versus put put it 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 away for you what's that do they put it away for you and I'm willing to do the putting the way part. Really? Yeah. Mm. I, huh. okay. okay. Here we go. There we go. My question there is, is, you said hamper, and I feel like normally you put dirty clothes in a hamper. Or is is there a different it, protocol in the Zahasky Well, we'll house? use a different, a different name We for actually it. do have clean clothes hampers because wow. the kids put their own clothes away, and we don't believe in folding children's clothes at our house. Because they're just going to throw in a drawer anyways. So, Maria, out of round one, what would you say is the more captivating? Who are you going to invest in? Yeah. I would probably have to say Brian, only because <gasps> with four kids, like the sink isn't big enough to do the dishes at our house. It's just simply not enough space. Did I mention that it's actually <laughs> a much bigger sink? That's part of the invention. Oh, but then it takes up all your counter space. Okay, right, right. You're seeing the flaws, and I'm I'm okay with it. All right, so round one goes. I to feel me. like they both had some flaws, but round two now. I uh, should have known. How about I start round two and then you can go? I should have known that having the wife of some of, one of the contestants was going to be like conflict of interest. Yeah, perhaps. maybe. No, right. I trust you. All so right. here to be my first my for round two. I would say if you watch the show, The Grinch, the, the the Jim Carrey version, there's a great scene when they're putting the Christmas lights up onto the house. That there's a gun that shoots the lights onto the house in the place they're supposed to be. As someone who is the resident light putter-upper in our house, who, might I mention, sacrificed my life this last Christmas so that our family could have Christmas cheer. Uh, This is the kind of invention that I would want. Let me just just tell a quick story. So it had already snowed, and our house has has, uh, two levels, and a yard that kind of goes slopes down. So there's even more space. And I put my foot up on the roof. I Again, I roof for an entire summer. I feel comfortable on the roofs. And I realized that if I do this, I, I am going to die. And my wife looked at me and she said, in straight, serious face fashion, she says, but how will the kids celebrate Christmas this year? <laughs> I did not say it that way. Yeah, well, that's how I interpret it, at least. Okay, that's that's actually probably pretty fair. And so I was like, for the sake of, of my marriage and my family and all things Christmas, I needed to step up. And so we devised 
a way for us to actually be, I was literally harnessed in to a hey, post. I offered that. I said I would tie you to a post. And, and we did. And you did tie what me a to a post. spouse. Yes. <laughs> and we got the crystal lights. But I just, again, I think to myself how beneficial it would be if I just had something I could point at the roof and would automatically just put them up on the roof. That would be my adventure. Okay, so here's my question. Does it take them down again? Because we still have them halfway hanging off our roof. They are the halfway moment. hanging off the roof. <laughs> I am hoping that gravity does the rest, but we'll see. So let me get this straight. You stole an invention off of a cartoon movie? No, no, I was inspired by something oh. that was fictional. And that was and not actually I, cartoon. And I wanted that was to become animated. non-fictional. Okay. Um, this is purely from my brain, okay? I call it the bathroom bed. A bathroom bed? Yep, and <laughs> I will tell you why. Late at night, <laughs> it's completely appropriate, I promise. Late at night, you know when you, like, it's like two in the morning and you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is a bed that you invest in that um, it has, it separates right in the middle. So you can stay laying down and it separates into, there's a drop there, perfectly aligned for where you will go to the bathroom. <laughs> Into a toilet type thing, and you don't have to leave your bed. Like there's a chamber pot under your bed, essentially, but it goes straight down. It's just like a toilet. So, um, but you know how you don't want to get out. You have to like find the light. So it's like a high tech bedpan. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even think about that, but yes. So that is my invention: the bathroom bed. Wow, I just don't know how I'm supposed to choose between <laughs> yes. these two. So round two. Oh, L Shark, what is... Like, am I supposed to choose off of, like, what's going to make my life easier? No. Or, like... What, what do you think has... You, like, has the best the sellability? Best, yeah, yes. the best ability for someone to invest in. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel, but I'm going to have to go ahead and go with the light Christmas light gun shooter thing. It's okay. I've saved my best two for last. All right. Round three. Go ahead and start. Okay. I only have two more. Great. So pick, pick your two. Okay. Yep. Um, here we go. We're going full on. Um... This is for dog owners and possibly cat owners. I like to call it the Invisi-leash. Okay? And here's what it is. I think it's called invisible fencing. Isn't that really what it's False. called? False. Okay. And I will tell you why. <laughs> Not because the same thing. this is, you hook something onto yourself and you hook something onto your dog. And you can go on a walk without having to have them on a leash because they can only, you can set it for how big of a circumference around you they can go. So let's say I want my dog only to have six feet. He can go, she can go six feet in any direction, but I don't have to hold a leash. And she doesn't have to pull a leash. All right, one question. Yeah. Would it also work on children? Absolutely. So this actually yes. is connected to my invention to some degree. All right. Is I would like to have some sort of uh, implant in our children <laughs> that, that amplifies my voice in their heart. <laughs> or in their, in their mind, at least, in their mind, at least, uh, of my voice. So when we say oh it's dinner time, there's an amplification, no matter where they are in proximity to where I am, they can hear that. Or if it's time to practice the violin or the cello or turn off the switch, there is, and it doesn't have to be harsh, but it's a, is a gen, and it's not shock therapy by any stretch of the matter. It is a voice that it just amplifies my beautiful, soothing voice to remind them that it is time to respond in a way that is appropriate. I feel like we have that called Alexa all over our house. 
it isn't working. So we need to kind of uh, look at that to find out if there's a better way to, to leverage our Alexa. So those are this is round three. Okay. You so have the Invisa leash and you have the parental voice implant. One option is helpful. One is scary. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like one of them would require a lot of therapy as an adult. So I feel like Rachel's, Rachel's probably going to have to win this one. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, I'm still up two to one. Okay, let's see if we can tie. Okay. All right. Uh, my final, here's my coup de gras. Lay it down. Uh, again, this is for my season of life that I'm in. I would really like to uh, invest or create or invent a snowblower that is remote controlled so that I can control the snowblower from my kitchen and uh, snowblow my driveway. Well, if I had voted for your last invention, you wouldn't need it. What do you mean? You just control the children from the kitchen. <laughs> that is true. Right. That is true. I, I get that. But let's say you're saying that there's therapy That's involved true. in that. So, so I'm trying to find a non-therapeutic, okay. <laughs> uh, therapy-driven way of doing this. Right. So you could lay in your bed, use the bathroom bed to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and then communicate to your children without having to say anything. Correct. Wow, the laziness amazing. is pretty amazing. While snowblowing. While yes. snowblowing. <laughs> yes. With a remote control <laughs> device. Um, okay. Here's mine. It's actually a chain of stores that I would like to open. And it's called One Serve, One Stop. It's kind of catchy, I know. One Serve, One Stop. So this would be for people in my life stage. Like, you know how you're talking about something for your life stage. Um, People that are one individual in their household or maybe a couple or someone, you know, that's on the the farther end of life, retirement. Um, It is a single serve grocery store. So you arrive like, okay, what do I want? I want a baked potato with these kind of toppings. And you can buy things in, like, you don't have to buy the whole cucumber. You could buy a fourth of the cucumber because that's all you would need on your baked potato if you were going to put a cucumber on your baked potato. That is an interesting combo. That's the only, like, thing I thought about. Or, like, a half a pepper. Or you could buy, like, two scoops of sour cream. You wouldn't have to get the whole thing. And it would be at a discounted rate. You wouldn't have to waste things. Well, that's truly interesting. <laughs> that is. All right, so it's time for my final vote. Yeah, this is yeah. the final vote. I actually think that it is going to be a tie game because I actually feel like what you said, Rachel, would even be helpful for me because there are times when I don't need yep. the big thing of sour cream for a recipe I'm making. And then I have to come up with another recipe to use the other half. It's kind of irritating. One serve, one stop. All right, so this this round or this game that we're doing is going to end in a tie. I just, for extra credit, I had another one, and that <laughs> was a sweatshirt that had a built-in tie. So that I could wear a sweatshirt, which is more comfortable on formal occasions. That was one. That's a good idea. And then this is a movie from the 80s that I really loved as a kid. It's called Short Circuit. It's with this robot that became kind of human. And it had a laser on its shoulder. And as a kid, I would go to school and I would think about this laser that I wanted on my shoulder. And I would like laser trees as I was riding to school. And I just, I'd always want to have a laser on my shoulder. I think that'd be cool to do good things with, not evil things, but just good things. Yeah. So I think Pastor Brian just told us that he was a nerd growing (laughs) up. (laughs) That may in fact be true. All right, so that was our that was our fun for today. Um, we're going to move to the next segment called Almost Deep Thoughts. Okay, that's the that's the name of this segment, and this is why I really brought my my wonderful, beautiful wife uh, into this conversation. Because I can almost think deep thoughts. No, no, that, <laughs> I love this. No, 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 that was for Uh-oh. me. Uh, I had that as a title for for this segment for me because usually I'm doing this. So I should I could rebrand this as I'm trying to dig myself out of the hole that this is deep thoughts. You don't by need Maria. to dig yourself a hole. It's actually 
actually probably the perfect title. Um, so, Maria, um, one of the things that I uh, appreciate about you that is not what I like nearly as much, but you have a very particular genre of literature that you love to read. You're a great reader. You love to read. But there's a genre that you are drawn to more than any other genre. And I wouldn't say more than any other genre. I just enjoy it. You enjoy it a lot. And that is apocalyptic, zombie-related, end well, of the world. Well, not always zombies. They just often have zombies in them. Correct. But you love that genre of literature. You're always reading something about the end of the world. Not always. Just sometimes. I, I enjoy that a lot too, Maria. I'm with you, girl. It okay. is, it's fascinating. I feel I'm not like saying it's there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that that's something that you are drawn to. So before this whole pandemic thing took out, uh, took over and, and became such an issue, uh, there was a book that you read and then you invited me to read, which I read uh, in short order after that, that I think has some applicability to the season we're in. And so the, the name of the book that you read and that I read is Black Death at the Golden Gates. Yes, yeah, so and this is actually not a fiction book. It's a nonfiction book. Yeah. And it's about the, the bubonic plague in the early 1900s, 19, 1898. 1900 is when it started yeah, in San Francisco. And it took place in San Francisco. And it's how San Francisco handled the plague uh, during that time. And uh, so I'm going to hand it to you and ask you, what were some of the things that you found really interesting in that book or that you and I found really interesting in that book that does have some applications for today yeah well to start for starters if anyone's interested in reading it it's just a great book that tells the history of how the plague the story of the plague in san francisco in the early 1900s um but some of the things i i found really interesting were that you know obviously the book didn't present it this way but i think as you learn the story um you really see the hand of god at work that um, there was this brilliant scientist who was the first American to study what the plague bacteria looked like under a microscope, who just happened to have gotten sent to San Francisco like weeks before this happened out of a grudge because his superior was jealous yeah. of the attention he was, insecure, he was getting. And so he sent this scientist yeah. out to. So he got sent there really because of a grudge to this nowhere place that no one wanted to be. And so he just happened to have the skill to to spot this as it entered San Francisco for the first time, which. And you know. revolutionize some of the processes to be able to identify it and be able to respond to it. Yeah, and really there's no reason that someone who had that kind of talent for microbiology, which is brand new at the time, should have been out in the middle of nowhere in yeah. San Francisco. Where did the plague... Plague? Is that how you pronounce this? Where did that come from? Like, how did it get to San Francisco? They think it came from Hawaii on yeah. some ships that okay. eventually came from Asia to Hawaii yeah, to like San Singapore, Francisco. Was where yeah, likely Hawaii. from either people or rats that jump on board and then jump off again. All right, so that was the first thing. Just really wow, like the hand of God that this man was there randomly, so that he could identify it yeah. um, as it came in, and and ultimately his story kind of is a sad one that he was this genius that found it and discovered that it was in San Francisco. But really, in the history books, talk about how he was super smart but just had no social skills. So he just burned bridges left and right by, um, really, by not being humble because he was you know so sure of yeah. himself that he didn't treat people very well. And so he just didn't have anyone on his team when it came time to try and stop this from taking over San Francisco. So he eventually got sent away. Um, he got shipped off to Michigan, I think it was. And they sent this other guy to replace him who really was kind of just like the B team. Like he was super average, like Southern farm kid. But he really had the skills that it took 
to knock this thing out. And it really, his skills that he had that his predecessor didn't have were people skills. Like he was humble. Yeah. He was willing to work with people. He was willing to see all people, especially the Chinese people, as actual people. Um, and he was able to work together with people. He got people on his side. He formed teams. So it was really interesting just to see how the two of them worked together to stop this plague and how God yeah. had gifted them so differently. And just through the way things worked, they ended up at the right place at the right time. You mentioned the Chinese people. Was there like some racism there in that? how it was connected to this sickness? Yeah, so the first place that it actually showed up on land in San Francisco was in Chinatown. And so, of course, because it was the Chinese people, and really they were forced to live in just terrible conditions because the landlords who were not Chinese didn't feel like there was any reason to take care of the buildings they were renting to people. And the people had no choice because they needed somewhere to live. And so, really, they were treated very poorly. They tried to, you know, exper- like use experimental vaccines on them by force. And there were some pretty terrible terrible things that happened. Um, but but the man who came in, the second man, um, his name was Rupert Blue. He really learned to work with the Chinese people. He got some of the, jo- the doctors and the medical people and kind of the people who ran Chinatown on his side to work with him to try and help improve the conditions so that they could get rid of the plague. And he would literally go into those spaces. And, yeah. and he knew firsthand that the living conditions that were taking place there was part of the issue. It was festering uh, the the opportunity for these rats and the, the fleas and stuff to, to communicate that disease across uh, people quite quickly. Yeah, so it was the fleas that were on the rats that were causing the plague to spread to people and through people. And so, you know, he realized they had to be able to clean up the living conditions to get rid of the rats so that people would stop getting the plague. Yeah. And so really, it was a very hard process, but it really ended up in helping to improve the living conditions of many of the Chinese people. And again, part of the connection, too, the reason why I thought this book was appropriate, you know, in the time period is that when we were reading this, this is when um, the virus had a different name. And I'm talking about 2019, 20 uh, for us that we're going through. And it was, you know, it's called the Wuhan virus. And and there were, there there have been some pretty significant racial uh, overtones, undertones uh, about uh, where the virus came from and who's responsible and uh, so there, there is some applicability as we're reading the story thing. And now there's something that's very contemporary about this as well. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I just appreciate this doctor that went in, his uniqueness and how it actually, his reaction to it and how it actually was the thing that helped solve um, this plague and helped people to get better. Yeah, and it really was a combination effect like he used science they mean they had this incredible rat killing thing all throughout the city and they collected the fleas off the dead rats and they tracked which ones had the fire you know which ones had the plague and which ones didn't and what neighborhood they came from so that they knew where to quarantine and where to work on cleaning things up and getting rid of the rats Um, but they also did that through relationship it wouldn't have worked and it didn't work the first part of it if they didn't work through relationships because there are a lot of difficult things that come apart, come come about when you're facing something scary, like yeah. like an epidemic. And the thing that maybe to close this segment on is, you know, when you talked about the hand of God um, in kind of orchestrating this to limit to some degree what could have been much worse in San Francisco, it raises the question about where God is in the midst of our current circumstance. Do you want to reflect on that at all in terms of just kind of how you're thinking about that, Maria? 
Yeah, well, I think I think someday we're going to be able to have the hindsight. Like, I don't think in the moment they saw, wow, the hand of God that this yeah. scientist was out in San Francisco and he could discover that. You know, I just think some of it is we're going to be able to gain some hindsight at some point and be like, wow, look at these are the ways we saw God at work. And sometimes that's really hard to see right when you are smack dab in the midst of it. Absolutely. So yeah. the book is called Black Death at the Golden Gates, and I would say that it it was a, a very it was a very good read, not a long read but a very good read, a good historical perspective that sheds some light on what we're currently going through. So, Maria, thank you uh, for bringing, uh, for personally, for uh, drawing my attention to this book, inviting me to read it with you, and then also sharing your insight this afternoon. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and actually, I checked it out as an ebook from the St. Cloud Public Library. So if there's anyone listening who wants to read it, go ahead and go onto their website and reserve your spot on the wait list, and it will be sent right to you. Amazing plug. Love it. All right, our next segment is, is called Stump the Pastor. This is something we've been working on with our confirmation students. They ask a question uh, once a week, and we try our best to answer the questions that they're asking. We're validating the things that they're thinking about, and we're edifying, hopefully, the larger congregation, larger listening audience. And the question today is, why does it seem like God doesn't communicate anymore? Which, again, I thought was a very good apropos question that our young people are wrestling with. So uh, there are a couple ways that we want to kind of tackle this. Uh, there's, a, there's a question that's kind of within the question. And again, the question, you know, does God still communicate with his people? And I believe that he does, and we're, I'm going to kind of lay that out in a minute. But I'm going to suggest that kind of the question beyond the question is, why does it seem so rare that God communicates with an audible voice? I think ultimately that's probably what this uh, young person was wrestling with. So a couple of ways to kind of tackle this. I do think it is true that the Bible is filled with lots of places where God speaks to his people. And I would argue in the Old Testament is, is filled with a number of those experiences. But what's interesting to me is I kind of thought about it last night even more on a deeper level is when we get to the New Testament and we get to the person of Jesus, uh, what we notice is that the voice of God becomes different. I originally wrote in the word less. I'm not sure that's actually the right word. It's just different. If you think about the letters of Paul, uh, there's tons of times that uh, there aren't a lot of times where uh, people heard kind of this audible voice. And, and this is where the Holy Spirit begins to take over. And the Holy Spirit becomes this guiding, again, I use voice, uh, this kind of guiding influence in the life of the early church. So I'm going to get to this a little bit more in a moment, but it's interesting to note that when the Bible ends, the way God speaks is different than, than what we see at the beginning of Scripture, which, I, again, I just think is an interesting thing to kind of, kind of wrestle with. There are plenty, uh, plenty of cases uh, where I think people claim or people uh, would identify that, that God has spoken to them audibly, and I, and I think there's, there's value there. But what I would argue is that the Bible as a whole becomes the primary way that God speaks to his people today. And the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, let's think about logically here. I, I think there's a problem that would emerge if all of a sudden God just started to speak on the same level that he spoke in the Old Testament. I mean, think of like, uh, you know, if he gave, you know, he gave an additional 10 commandments. Like, what do we do with the original 10 commandments? Is it, isn't it an addendum on it? Is it a replacement of... And so, again, I think that we claim, well, part of what we hold on to is that Scripture becomes this, this really perfect, is the word we use in the covenant, this perfect manifestation 
of, uh, of God's communicative work in our uh, lives. So, uh, so instead, here's what I would suggest. That, that God has chosen to speak to his, his people. Again, number one to me is God's word. I think that's the primary way that God speaks to his people. It becomes this anchor point for us. But I say the Holy Spirit uh, using God's word in our lives is another really powerful way. Again, we've talked, we did this with the Lectio experience. We read the same text. You could read the same text next week. You could read the same text 10 years from now, you know, 50 years from now. And the Holy Spirit draws our attention to something that maybe we didn't see uh, before. Now we come to what I think, again, is the role of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, that becomes a major, if not primary, communicative force of God. So I go back to, my, you know, I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking my call to ministry in 1996 while I'm sitting in a van in Mexico. And I would say that was the closest I've ever come to audibly hearing God's voice. It was so... Um, well-defined. Again, I don't think you, I wouldn't claim that it was literally audible, but it was so clearly defined in that moment where I had a sense at that point, God was calling me to, to ministry, to use the gifts he's given me for his purpose uh, in ministry. But I would also kind of branch even further on that. I think that God speaks uh, through other people. Uh, so God's word becomes a guardrail in that sense. But we invite, again, I think about my, even my marriage and, and, and Maria and, and my working relationships with people. Like when we are in the context of the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit works through his people to speak to each other. I remember being in an interview once for a licensure for ministry. Um, and I remember uh, one of the questions was, well, what's the role of the church in the interpretation of Scripture? And I didn't have an answer for it. I, I was totally stumped. But the correct answer is the Holy Spirit works for the church to interpret Scripture. And I just think that's such an important piece. But I'm going to land on this. You know, part of the question that that student asked that we need to wrestle with is that I do think it's a responsibility on our part to create space to actually listen. I think sometimes we expect God to speak, to show up, to make himself known kind of on his own terms. And we don't necessarily take the time to calm our hearts, to calm our minds, and invite God to speak. I I think of Samuel in the temple of Eli, teaching Samuel that when he hears the voice of the Lord to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I love that phrase. How helpful can that phrase be when we look at the question saying, uh, Holy Spirit, I want to position myself in a way to receive your voice. So that is my response in this segment of Stump the Pastor with our confirmation students. I love it. I think sometimes, like, I can be so concerned, like, am I actually, like, is this really what God is saying, you know? Or is this how the Holy Spirit's leading me? It can get super stressful. But it's not stressful because um, we see, we can hold what we believe that the Holy Spirit is telling us. We hold that against, like, with God's word. And they should always go together. And so that's been a helpful truth for me as I'm thinking about just hearing from the Lord. Yeah. So the last segment today, we're going to wrap it up, is the Go Deeper segment. And uh, and that's a a prayer practice that I want to teach uh, those that are listening. And it's very simple, and I'll make it quick today. And that's uh, the prayer up and the, or the palms up and the palms down prayer. 
And this, this is a very simple exercise that we can incorporate in all of our prayer uh, experiences. And it's about connecting our physical posture with our spiritual heart and our, and our position towards God. And so, you know, it's very simple. So it's whenever you find space in your, your day to, to kind of quiet yourself and to come into the presence of the Lord. It's beginning your prayer by holding out your palms and facing them first down so that the palms are actually facing the ground. And you begin prayer by, by releasing, by releasing stress, by releasing whatever kind of frustration you're working through, by releasing um, maybe some emotions that you're wrestling with, some, a project that's consuming you. And you just begin by coming for the Lord and you are releasing it. You're actually pitching yourself, letting it go, dropping it to the floor and laying it at the foot of the cross. And then once you're in a kind of a good heart space, then you lift the palms up. And when you lift your palms up, you go from releasing to receiving. So you lift your palms up and you are receiving God's grace for the day. You're receiving his strength to get through something that you're going through. You're receiving wisdom that you are looking for when it comes to an important decision that you're trying to discern and trying to make. So by posturing your palms... On one hand, you're releasing the things that are, are negative and are not life-giving, and you are palm up, connecting your physical posture with this kind of position of your heart and your soul to receive the goodness, the grace, the, the life that is coming from the Lord. So that's an exercise that I just want to continue to encourage our congregation to live into during uh, this particular season. I think I'm going to invite us to, to land the plane today, if you will, Rachel, by, um, you know, just talking about uh, a care initiative um, that we are looking to do. We're going to actually start it today and then make it available this, this, uh, this Sunday. Can you just say a couple quick words about what it is that we're trying to do and how can Hope Covenant be involved? Absolutely. Yeah, we um, have just looked, we've been asking people from our congregation, you know, what are some needs that people have? And an idea that was presented to us and kind of, we have a little team that came together was to create care packages. Um, Specifically, we're going to deliver them to our neighbors, our neighborhood to about 10 to 15 families by Friday. And then we're actually going to have some care packages um, for people to from our congregation to pick up to deliver to a family or a neighbor themselves. And it's kind of a neat way to meet um, some actually needs that they might have because I believe we're going to have some toilet paper in them. We are. Yep. I have it in my car. Oh, perfect. And then um, a couple little treats. We have maybe a game or two for families to play. And I'm trying to think, what else? And cards, cards that were made by multiple families of all ages that just lets our neighborhood know, our immediate neighborhood, but also Hope Covenant's neighborhood, which is across this area, know that we care, that Hope Covenant cares. So we'll say more about this on Sunday. But we're again, we're caring immediately for our neighborhood around this church building. And then we're inviting Hope to think about who you know, in their own neighborhood could really be blessed by a little care package with some goodies in it that it says, we care. Absolutely. And yeah, so a way that you could be part of it is we will have more information on when and how to pick up care packages. Um, and then depending, I guess, on how long this goes, we might do a care package round too. 
Yeah, we and I just could. spoke that into being, you but did. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking we could. Yep. So if you have something that you could gather as a family to maybe put in round two, yeah. um, for the care packages, that would be a great way to be involved. As and well. even if people want to support it financially, and we can go out and purchase Absolutely. those as well, that's another way to go. Right. So, uh, so Hope Live is next. <laughs> okay. Yes. And so that's coming Sunday. We're really excited about it. So excited. And what time is that going to start, and how are people going to be able to, to connect in on that? Yeah, the service starts at 10 a.m. Just like any other Sunday. Just like any other Sunday. Um, and you can log on on Hope Live. We're going to send on YouTube Live. We're going to send that link via your emails coming here shortly, um, these next couple of days. We had so much fun seeing people chat yeah. and say, like, hey, we're here. We're in our pajamas, but we're here. And we were like, we're jealous that we're not in our pajamas, <laughs> but we are excited that you're here. So we're excited to hear you guys chat it up again. Yep. And um, we're going to add a little different element. At least we're going to oh try. Yeah. We're going to encourage people to put prayer requests in live time, and then we'll create a little space in the service to be praying for our congregation and the things that people uh, are carrying with them. Yes. So it was just so fun to connect with you from afar yep. in this really cool way. We love it. So even it. though we're going to be sheltering at home, that's kind of what our governor's talking about, there are some, there's still some allowances and exceptions for us to still do this streaming, which we're so grateful to do. Yep. We're limiting how much human contact we have to be responsible, but we can't wait to continue to connect with our congregation, to love them so that together we can continue to be hope for life of the world. So signing off, podcast episode three. Quotes from quarantine. Have an amazing day. Be hope for life of the world. Hope Covenant. See you, Hope. Bye.